All right, Ecclesiastes 4. If you found that, why don't you stand? We'll read together God's Word. I'm going to start in verse 1 and read down to verse 12. Now, when I start reading, you follow along in your Bible, and you'll see this is not a sunshine-filled passage. But there is hope there. Let's go to it. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin in verse 1. <clears throat> the preacher writes, Again, I saw all the, all the oppressions that are done under the sun. Behold the tears of the oppressed, and they had no one to comfort them. On the side of the oppressors there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And I thought, the dead who are already dead, more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not yet been and has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. Then I saw that all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. Better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil and his eyes are never satisfied with riches so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Here comes the good news. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Join me as we pray. Father, I pray you would help us. Help me. Help our church. Help the individual men and women watching online and here, worshiping today. Help us to love Christ, to love His church, to be strengthened, to have our souls refreshed. And so, Holy Spirit of God, according to Your Word, I pray You would encourage Your people today in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There are no easy answers. Some of you sitting right here watching online, you know this all too well. Many times when we walk through profound pain, many times, even strong Christian people, when we walk through profound pain, we end up having more questions than we have answers. That's why we need depth. It's why the chirpy sort of bumper sticker 
kind of plastic Christianity, the cultural Christianity. It's why uh, that, that Christianity that people love so much because it requires so little, that Christianity evaporates. That Christianity evaporates when the young mother finds out she's pregnant and the family rejoices. She loses the baby. That kind of Christianity evaporates when the young couple gets married and have all of their dreams in front of them to have children one day only to find out that they, they can't. Some of the ghosts of infertility are hard to bear. We need a Christianity that can stand up in the face of an overdose and a painful divorce and a sudden death. Because when those things happen, if you are not anchored in Christ, you, you find yourself paralyzed. Or, or in a free fall, or, or even worse, in a hole that you can't get up out of. See, what happens, debilitating pain, I'm talking about debilitating pain without Christ and his church, it can be overwhelming, it can be relentless, you, you wake up with it in the morning, you go to bed with it at night, you lay awake thinking about it, there's like a, like a, like a weight on your chest. That feels like what the preacher is talking about, chapter 4. There's very little sunlight here, but you've got to stay with me. There is hope. Strangely enough, I, I actually love this little chapter because it gives us the freedom to be real without being judged. It gives us the freedom to question without falling into despair. This little chapter exposes and displays our need, your need, for Christ and His church. Here you find a picture of how bad it is to be alone in the world and how good it is to have fellowship, brothers and sisters that are walking with you, that are carrying the weight, that are beside you. You find that here in this passage. So today I hope that you can, let's take the Old Testament, let's take Old Testament truth and apply them to some New Testament realities. I want you to see that Christ has called us to be in community. In fact, I would write that down. Christ has called us to be in community, and that community is the church. It's what we are. It's why we gather. Now, I'm going to need you uh, today as we go through this passage, <clears throat> I'm going to need you to stay with me in this sermon because it starts out dark. I have to I have to start out dark because the text starts out dark, but it ends with the greatest hope we have, that is the love of Christ. So, so let's start out first with the dark part. Let's go to the dark part. You'll find it there in verses 1 and 2. Here's the first point. Number one, what kind of life is miserable? Number one, a comfortless, a comfortless life is miserable. It's miserable to live and not have the comfort of a good Christian brother or sister. Look what the preacher says in verse 1. Let me read it to you. Verse 1 
the preacher says, and again, that's always the start of a new, a new thought, again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun, all of them. There's nobody to comfort the people that are being oppressed. In fact, he says that their tears, look at the tears in verse 1 of the oppressed. Here's the picture. Get it in your mind now. Here's the picture of those that are mistreated, that are, that are hurt, those that are beaten up, that are beaten down, those that are looked down upon, even, even held down. And the preacher steps out of his, remember this is Solomon, the preacher steps out and says, I see the oppressed. And they're being held down by people that have the power, power that actually could be used to help them, and instead of helping them, the people in power are doing nothing. You know what you have here? You have here the whole story of God's people from the very beginning. Go back with me in your mind to Genesis. There you'll find two brothers, Cain and Abel, from the very beginning, righteous Abel being killed by Cain, go through God's story of God's people. Joseph being tortured by his brothers, Think of the Israelites in captivity under Pharaoh's boot, the Egyptians. Come up out of there into the, the book of Judges, and there you find God's people being led by these terrible leaders. And then finally we get kings. you got one good king, David, that points us to Christ, and all the other kings end up being pagans until finally God's people are once again in Babylonian exile. From Babylonian exile to the Messiah comes, and when the Messiah comes, they crucify Jesus. After the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, there the church is born in Acts chapter 2, and pretty soon, even the church is being persecuted. For the first 300 years, Christians persecuted. From the persecution of the church early to the 15th century of the burning of the reformers, To the day that we live in now, we've gotten accustomed to this American Christianity bubble that we live in, that we've not been persecuted. Well, that bubble has been burst. There's a coming estrangement stripping, I think, there's a coming estrangement that will strip the rights of, of Bible-believing Christians. You can't, you can't believe the Bible and live like a Christian and not rub the world the wrong way. There's, there's oppression, and look how it's made the preacher feel. You've got to be careful when you look at society. Look how it's made the preacher feel in verse 2 and 3. Let me read it to you. Verse 2. And the preacher says, I, I, I thought the dead who were already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. And better than that, verse 3, are those that have never been born. It would be better to be dead than have to live like this. It would be better if I had never been born. You ever felt like that? You ever thought I should just, I should just end it? I hate my life so much that I, I wish I were, I hate my life so much that I wish I were never born. 
That's, I mean, that's the emotion here. What's interesting to me is this is Solomon now. This, this is the king. It's interesting to me that at least he's bothered enough it's encouraging me that the heart of the king, at least he's bothered enough to see the suffering around him and know that it is not right. Listen, we live in a bad and a tough and a painful world. Don't get so hardened by the world that you don't feel shock or, or grief over sin. Don't get so hardened by the world that you don't feel compassion. The Christian impulse when we look at suffering is to feel compassion and do something. These verses, you know what they're doing? They're taking all of the problems of the world, including oppression, taking all of the problems of the world and distilling them down into one root problem, and that problem is sin. Sin makes the world a tragedy. Sin can make it, some of you have felt this before, sin can make it feel like life is absolutely unbearable. In this text, this is how bad sin can be. In this text, sin can make suicide look courageous when it is sinful. Brothers and sisters, this is why the, this is why the gospel of Jesus is so glorious. Because the gospel of Jesus promises the forgiveness of all sin. The gospel of Jesus promises us a foundation of hope. I mean, when you look at verses 1 and 2, two times the preacher says in verses 1 and 2, there, there's no one to comfort them. Do you see it in verse, verse 1? There's no one to comfort them. There's, there's tears. There's no one to comfort them. But, but that's just it. There is. There is someone to comfort them. Isaiah 40, God says, comfort and comfort my people. 700 years later, Jesus walks into a synagogue. Go look at it in Luke 4. 700 years later, Jesus walks into a synagogue, opens up that same book, Isaiah, to Isaiah 61, and, and Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He's anointed me to preach the good news and to bind up the wounds. The good news. The good news is found at the cross of Jesus there. There at the cross of Jesus. That's why we run to the cross. That's why I'm taking you there this morning through the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to take you to the cross of Jesus because it's there at the cross of Jesus. It's because there are times in life with, when only the consolation of Israel, when only Jesus will do. So, so bring them here. Bring the, bring the pain and the burden and the hurt and the struggle, the bitterness. Bring it to the cross. Why? Because a comfortless life is miserable. I'm going to give you something else to consider. You'll see more misery here. That's the first point. Let me give you a second. Verses 4, 5, and 6. Number 2. Not only is the comfort comfortless life miserable the worldly life is miserable look what the uh, look what the preacher uncovers in verse 4 let me just read a little bit of it to you in verse 4 <clears throat> the worldly life 
The preacher said, okay, now I've looked away from those being oppressed. Now, verse 4, then I saw that all the toil and all the skill and work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is vanity and striving after the wind. So here's what the preacher's saying. Okay, I see how people work, and the main motivation behind what so many people do is dominance. I see that somebody has really good things. I'm going to work harder and have more than what they got. Verse 4 says, it's envy of neighbor. You know what this, um, this is a picture of that twisted value system that we live in, that we're keeping up with the Joneses. That's how you know it. This is the twisted value system that keeps you a slave to dominating or being ahead of people or a slave to your work so that you can have more than the person close to you. And I would say that at least, that most of us have at least a touch of this in some capacity. I mean, unless... You know, you get to verse 5, maybe you're like verse 5, you're the, the lazy no-account guy that just lays around. I mean, the, the verse, verse 5 says, there's a fool who folds his, hand, folds his hands and he's ruined. Or maybe you're not materialistic. Maybe you're not driven by wanting more and more and more stuff. Maybe yours shows up in your competitive nature. Maybe you see a really Somebody's really good in your field, and you think, I'm going to be better than that. Or, or maybe yours is that you just, you just have to have the last word. You, you're argumentative, and uh, so in an argument, you feel like you just got to cap it off. You have to say the last thing. Or, or maybe yours is not, not like any of that. Maybe yours shows up in the fact that you just want to have something that is uniquely yours, something that other people don't have, Maybe it's your appearance, maybe it's your clothes, maybe it's your home, maybe it's the car that you drive, maybe it's your strength level, maybe it's your athleticism, maybe it's how smart you are. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. The sin is the motivation. The sin is found what's underneath. Uh, one way to test this is to ask yourself the question, how do you feel when somebody is better than you are in that field that you love? How do you feel when somebody does better, gets ahead, does more? How do you feel when somebody is, um, has more money or dresses better, in better shape? Can, can you celebrate the common grace of God in that person? Preacher says in verse 4, to burn yourself, verse 4, to burn yourself out trying to outdo people and be better than them is, is spitting in the wind. I'll just add to that. It is also anti-gospel. It's nothing like the Lord Jesus. Now, the, the solution is not just to quit. I mean, verse 5 is the quitter. Verse 5, the guy in verse 5 is a fool. Notice what the preacher says. Uh, the fool, he folds his hands and he eats his own flesh. That is to say, he sits down, he doesn't do anything, he's not taking care of his family, he's just going to sit down and let people wait on him, and it's just going to be his ruin. That, that's not the solution. No, instead, verse 6, we find the solution. There in verse 6, we find a way. Look what he says in verse 6. Better is a handful of quietness 
than both your hands on toiling and striving after the wind. So all you hard chargers out there, find a way to choke it back and to balance it out for the glory of God so that whatever your hand finds to do, you can do it with all of your might as if you were doing it unto the Lord. Now, now, if the comfortless life is miserable, if the worldly life is miserable, this third one is really bad. We've got to keep going into darkness here. We're going to come out in some light in a minute, but let me just give you this, this third dark one. It's the greedy life. Number three, greedy. The greedy life is miserable. I don't want to spend too much time here, but let's at least take a look at it and read it verse 7 and 8. It actually goes along with the workaholic in verses uh, 4, 5, and 6. Let me read verses 7 and 8. The preacher says in verse 7, Again I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other son or brother. It seems a strange mix of family, but he doesn't have an heir. He doesn't have a brother to take over. He, he's some kind of way alone. And yet there is no end to his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. His eyes, of the Hebrew would be, his eyes are constantly hungry for more money. And in fact, it's so much so, the text says that he never stops to ask himself. He never thinks, why am I doing all of this? For who am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? And the preacher renders uh, his judgment and says, this is vanity. It is an unhappy business. It's, it's worth taking a look at this guy. I don't know that I know many folks like this, but it's worth thinking through. This is a man or a woman that, that isn't really connected to anyone. He might have family, but if he is connected, he is, is so driven. He hasn't considered that person. What he considers is work. He feels like he was made to work, and that's a good thing to do, and our society has rewarded him with, with accolades. In fact, this person here is very successful, and the more he works, the better he is, the more money he gets. He's profitable. He gets things, but never, his eyes are never satisfied. What you have right here is the, um, this is the Ebenezer Scrooge of the Old Testament. This is what happened when you use people and love things instead of use things and love people. And at the end of verse 8, the preacher says, that is nothing but havil. That's vanity. That, you think you're building something? But what you're going to end up with is a mouthful of ashes. Misery. Now, we, let's pause for a moment. We've taken a few moments. We've um, taken the last little bit. We've walked through a pretty depressing passage. It's hard to preach Ecclesiastes. We've walked through a pretty depressing passage. We've looked at the comfortless life. Verses 1 and 2, we've looked how miserable that is. We've looked at the, the worldly life in verses 4, 5, and 6 and how miserable that is. We've looked at the greedy life in verse 7 and 8 and how miserable that is. I want to get our heads up now. I want us to look and I want us to end with something good. I want to end with hope because verse 9, 10, 11, and 12, there's a beautiful picture of actually 
being the community. Actually being connected. Brothers and sisters in Christ. And what I want to do is I want to take Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verses 9 through 12 and persuade you that you need to be connected to this church. Not just watching, not just attending, connected. I, I want to persuade you that as a Christian, you should be actively pursuing community in the church. I don't mean you sitting back and wondering, I wish I had community. I want you to actively pursue it in your life. Because the comfortless life is miserable. The, the worldly life, miserable. The greedy life, miserable. But there is something good. Here's point number four. Life in community is better. Life, is, life in community is better. Let's, let's do something. Let's take this old passage, this Old Testament passage, and let's display a New Testament truth because we live in a broken world. We've seen that. We live in a broken world and Christian people desperately need one another. Here are some happy alternatives to the Lone Ranger life. Let me give you the first one. Or if you're doing an outline, this would be A, but here, here's the first one. First truth is in verse 9, we can do more together. We can do more together. See what he says? Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. So if you're in community, you're with a brother or sister in Christ, you are with brothers or sisters in Christ, the pleasures in life are greater, the burdens in life are lighter. You know what it's like to have a really deep Christian friend? I wonder who it is that you're praying for, that you're talking to, that you are investing in. Who is it that's walking beside you in your journey? It ought to be somebody in this church. If not, you need to let me know. Let's find you somebody in this church. I went on a mission trip last week to Lumberton, North Carolina. We have sort of a standing partnership with uh, that part of the world. It was flooded by Florence, and there's still a whole lot of work to do. We're going there probably once a month, uh, maybe, maybe a little more often. I went with a bunch of guys that were eight or nine or ten, and uh, Ron King was leading the trip. I, I wasn't leading. I was just there to be on the trip because I really don't have any skills. Uh, I can just walk around and carry stuff and try to look like I'm busy. And, and on this trip, eight or nine people working hard, it is amazing what a group of people can get done. It's a picture of the Christian community. We, we can get more done together. There's something else to notice in verse 10. Not only can we get more done together, number uh, two, or you might put down B, we, we last longer together. You're going to last longer. Let me show you what I mean. You'll find it right there in verse 10. The preacher says, for if they fall, if somebody falls, you have somebody with you, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to pick him up off the ground. Now, now remember what a proverb does. This is a proverb, but a proverb always looks beyond the physical danger into spiritual danger. 
What is the spiritual danger when we talk about a brother or sister falling? What do we mean by that? Somebody has a slip of judgment, makes a poor decision. So somebody drops into a life of sin or, or, or is profoundly hurt by something or ends up in misery or drops into depression or struggles with temptation. And this text seems to suggest if you got a brother or sister with you, that brother steps in. It's what we do to get a hold of a brother or a sister in trouble. We don't kick a brother when he's down. We reach over, help him up. This is accountability. This is, this is the idea of Christian community. This is iron sharpening iron. This is help when somebody falls. This is restoration when a, when, a, when a brother or sister is off in sin and comes back and we bring them back fully. This is, this is confrontation when somebody needs to be spoken to. This is, this is working to heal the deep places. This is knowing someone and being known by someone and that person bringing you with them and you bringing them with you. Don't, don't be the lone ranger and wonder why you don't have community. That, that's not how God created us to be Christians. You need to create the community with someone. Establish it. Seek it out. Don't sit back and wait. If you are a Christian and you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit in you, you need a brother or sister walking beside you. That's how God has designed us. That's what church is for. People have, have been saying all these prognostications about the church change, being changed forever because of COVID-19. Will everybody ever come back to church? Will we ever gather together? There's a whole lot of naysayers out there about the church. There are some things that will fundamentally change about church. What won't change is that we need to be together. And we need one another. Why? I think verse 11 tells us why. We can get through winter together. Verse 11. Now, join me there in verse 11. Verse 11 is, uh, really this whole passage is used a lot of times in marriages. I read this passage when I'm doing a marriage uh, ceremony. It's a really good Reminder of two, better than one sort of thing. In fact, Connie, um, one of the wedding gifts she gave me was a cross-stitched version of this right here, which is a, a great thing, a treasure. But is that what this is talking about? In verse 11, is that talking about a married couple? I don't think so. It's a fine application. But go with me back to the desert, and there in the desert, it's hot during the day, and at night it gets terribly cold. And a traveler along the road, this seems odd to us in the 20th, 21st century America, but a traveler along the road goes in to an inn somewhere to stay, and it is cold, and there are people that are not necessarily someone he knows, and yet they sleep close because they need the warmth. Now remember what a proverb does. It's a, it's a physical truth that points to a spiritual truth. Run into the winter of your soul, and here we are in a church with brothers and sisters in Christ. We got to get through the winter together. 
When, when the winter comes for you, no matter, dark, no, no matter how dark or cold it gets in your heart and into your life, being truly known by other brothers and sisters in Christ and truly knowing other brothers and sisters in Christ, that's going to give you enough warmth to get through. We get through winter together. Let me give you another thing you'll notice in verse 12. I'll, I'll end it here. And that is, what does community do for us? We are safer together. You see that at the very bottom of verse 12? Notice what the text says. And, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone. Here is one guy walking down a path by himself. He is jumped by a bunch of robbers and he doesn't stand a chance. But the preacher says one guy alone is vulnerable. But two people can withstand. you got a better chance. you got a better fight on your hands now. And then he wraps it up at the end. A three-fold cord. Not easily broken. Now, now what is, here's a proverb again. This is not just saying to you, okay, hey, you need to be smart if you are in a parking garage alone at night. You don't need to do that. This is, this is the spiritual truth. You need to live in the church with the redeemed people of God that are going to walk beside you, they're going to pray with you, they're going to be able to shoulder the burdens with you. When you're in a spiritual battle, you got a brother or sister on either side that can fight with you. These are the men and women in your life that are going to take you to the gospel. I mean, even Jesus, when he talked about the prayer meeting, he said, where, where two or three are gathered, I'm there. A threefold cord, not easily broken. You see, Jesus, the righteous Savior, see him there dying on the cross in the place of individual sinners. And after he died on the cross in the place of individual sinners, maybe you could see your name there. He died on the cross in your place. God raised him from the dead, gave us the Sunday. That's why we worship on a Sunday. And as he ascended into heaven, and there he sits at the right hand of God, he hasn't forgotten about us. He knows that we're here and we need help. And so the Holy Spirit descended. Go read it in Acts chapter 2. When the Holy Spirit descended, something was born. It's the church. The one thing that Jesus established after his ascension, the church. Christ has called us to be in community because he knows that's how he protects us. That, that's why we are together. That's why we press to meet together. That's why we want so badly for people to be here because we need one another. You see, in Christ, life is better together. I want you to love the church. Find People to pray. I want you to pray for the church. I want you to be patient with the church. I want you to invest in people in the church. I want us to be a force for the gospel in this city because Jesus is Lord of the church. Now, you're here today or you're watching online and maybe you're feeling like you're not in community. Let's do something about that. 
Let's take the right steps and find a way to get you connected so you have brothers and sisters walking with you. You can send in prayer requests. We'll read those and use those as a way to find a way to get you. You need to take a step. If you're a mature Christian, don't, don't turn it into a click. Find a way to reach out to people and walk with those that need Jesus. We thank God for the church. God has given us one another to live together for the gospel. If you join me as we pray together. With your heads bowed this morning as we go to the Lord in a moment of prayer, I just want to ask you as I'm closing, those of you that are watching online or here in the church and you, you don't feel connected, you, you need to be connected. If you're not connected, you're going you're gonna to drift off somewhere. You need to let us know. You can do that. Send in prayer request. See someone afterwards. Take a step to do that. For those of you that are not believers, you're not a Christian, there's more to just having a group of people. It's good to have a group of people, a family, but there's more to it. The most important thing is that you understand the gospel that Jesus died in the place of sinners on the cross. God raised him from the dead, and whoever believes that will be saved and brought into the church. Father, thank you. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the men and women at this church. I pray that you make Hickory Grove a faithful, God-honoring church. Help us to love each other. Help us to walk with each other. Lord, heal the souls of those that are struggling, the hearts of those that have been broken, and use us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.